0: The text we're going to be in is a, it's a beautiful text, beautiful, strong promises God uh, makes to Moses, so that part of it's good, but there is a lot of human weakness and frailty found in Exodus chapter 6 as well. If you don't know already, you're going to know by the end of this sermon, we are not a health and wealth prosperity gospel church. Uh, We are going to dig deeply into, you are going to feel the heaviness and the weightiness this morning of being in a dark place. We're going to see Moses in a very dark place. One of the things I love about preaching through books of the Bible, we don't get to skip anything like this. What I have seen, you know, uh, there's a, a phrase around our our, our nation right now, white fragility, you might have heard it. Uh, we're definitely not going to talk about that this morning, but we are, I do want to talk about Christian fragility. Uh, because, because so many churches don't dig deeply into texts like this, when Christians do experience suffering, when they do experience pain and hardship in life. Sometimes they don't know what to do with it. They feel like they're doing something wrong. They feel like there's something wrong with them. They feel like God is punishing them. They don't know how to to act. They don't know how to pray. But moving through a text like this hopefully will bring some, some normalness to those dark nights of the soul that we all suffer from time to time as all God's people have. If you're in the room and you're like, I've never suffered, well, it's probably because you're like 18 and you've been a Christian for 10 minutes. <laughs> if you haven't suffered yet, suffering is coming. Uh, there are phone calls that we receive that change our lives forever. Right? There are. Human life is hard. Life on planet Earth and suffering is a part of the Christian experience, and that's that's what we're going to dig into this morning. It is for our good and hopefully for our encouragement this morning. So before we even get to Exodus chapter six, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter twenty, and I'm going to pray. <clears throat> and because of the of the weightiness of this sermon. I'm going to do my best to make short work of it. We're supposed to get through most of Exodus chapter 6, but we're going to skip the whole genealogy part. Just know for you, those of you in small groups and when you're reading that genealogy, that is there just for the recognition of Moses and Aaron, that they are part of the Levitical tribe of Levi. That's why that uh, genealogy is there. It's, It's not for any other purpose. So Jeremiah chapter 20, let's pray and we'll get started. Father, I love you. Thank you for everything that you do. Thank you for the men and the women you've already encouraged in the 8 a.m. service. Father, I pray you would encourage the rest of us in this service and at the 1130 through your word, your God-breathed word. It's all important. It's all here for a reason. May we soak up your word this morning. Build us into stronger men and women of God. It is in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Uh, Jeremiah chapter 20, we're going to start in verse 14 and 15. Then we're going to go read 7 through 9 really quick of the same chapter. Just to give you some context. On who Jeremiah is and what's going on. Jeremiah was called. Uh, most of you know those great passages. Jeremiah when he was in his mother's womb. God called him to be his servant. God he, he was born the prophet Of God with the words of God being put in his mouth to speak. Now that sounds glorious and glamorous, doesn't it? But sometimes God puts words in your mouth and asks you to speak them that you don't want to speak because it's not a popular message and it certainly doesn't make you popular. God speaks these promises to Jeremiah, tells him to give them to the people and in chapter 20, he is... Bound by his own people placed in stocks. The whole community is is throwing fruit at him and and they're uh, uh, terrorizing him. He's hated by all of his own people because of the word of the Lord that he has spoken. Jeremiah is going to see Jerusalem raised. By Babylon. Not always he's imprisoned now by his own people, but there's coming a time he's going to see the temple burned to the ground. He's going to see God's people taken off into exile by the Babylonians. There's a reason we call Jeremiah the weeping prophet. Did you know there is a book in the Bible called Lamentations? How many of you know that's not a Ren and Stimpy episode? <laughs> Happy, happy, joy, joy. No, lamentations is a word that that means what it sounds like. And it was Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, that wrote this because he knew he was speaking truth, but all he could see was devastation around him, which is what causes him to write things like this. Sometimes God calls us to live in times in which we do not want to live. Some get to live in golden ages. Others get to live in ages of exile and devastation. Jeremiah in verse 14, cursed be the day on which I was born. Now every young person in this room has said that before. I remember when my mother when I was a kid, I used to, hate. you know, when I use the word revival, I'm talking about a thing God does in our hearts that makes us love him more and want his word more. And But revival, when I was a kid, meant church every day of the week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it meant every night. You didn't get to come home from school and play G.I. Joe. No, you had to take a shower and get dressed up and go to church. Uh, and for, as you know, I had a drug problem when I was a kid. I was drug to church. So... <laughs> So my mom, I hated revival. My, I'd come home and mom would say, okay, we gotta clean up, we've got church tonight. I'm like, ah, I wish I was never born. <laughs> now, we've all said that in in those ways, but I mean this is real. This is real pain. Jeremiah really wishes, and some of you in this room, you've been there. You've said it not as some kid who just didn't want to do something he had to do, but you've said it as an adult. Suffering under the hardships of life and life becoming so great and so much where you just just wish you didn't exist. You wish you never had been born. Jeremiah identifies with you. There's nothing wrong with you. God's people throughout different seasons feel this way because of how life can be. Curse me the day on which I was born, the day when my mother bore me. Let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father. A son is born to you, making him very glad. Go back to verse 7, 8, and 9. and Again, to set up Exodus chapter 6. Jeremiah, the prophet, the man of God. See, some of you don't know when you're angry with God. When you feel like he's let you down, when you feel like... When you feel like he's abandoned you, Christians, they don't know what to do with those feelings. But you're not the first. Jeremiah looks at God and says, you have deceived me. You are stronger than I and you have prevailed. You have beaten me. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone, this message you gave me to give to your people, they hate my guts because of it. You told me there was glory in this, in, in, in performing your will, and my life is worse because of you. Look at verse 8. For whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout, violence and destruction, for the word of the Lord has become a reproach, a derision for me all day long. Jeremiah, in this moment of darkness, in this, in this, this pit valley moment, the low point in his life, he's like, your word is bad for me. Have you ever been there? What do we do in times like this? have you ever in verse 9 jeremiah's like i'm done i'm out tapped i'm out he says in verse 9 if i say i will not mention him or speak any more of his name i don't i don't want to do this anymore but something happens, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire, shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. Jeremiah, the sentiment he's trying to make here, you've deceived me, I'm doing, I'm obeying what you say. My life is getting worse, and I want to be done with this. But every time I try to walk away, I just can't, and I have to come Back and speak the words that you have put inside me. I've got nowhere else to go. It's that thought right there I want you to hold on to as we move to Exodus chapter six. I feel betrayed and abandoned. My life is worse for obeying you, but I got nowhere else to go. Every time I try to turn away, I'm drawn back to your word. This is where I want to ground us for the, the hardships and sufferings that we're going to face being human beings on planet earth. Exodus chapter 6. And let me just read the last two verses of chapter 5 again. To, that was Jeremiah, but, but here's Moses. Moses doing what God told him to do. And did not get the outcome he expected. God said, go and tell Pharaoh to let the people go. And so Moses goes and says this, and he doesn't let the people go. Yahweh says, Pharaoh says, who is Yahweh? I don't know Yahweh. Why should I do anything I'm in charge here. I'm the one on a throne. You're the one making a petition to me. I'm not making a petition to you. I'm in charge. And so not only are God's people not free at this moment, but Pharaoh puts his thumb down hard and presses on them and makes their job harder than it was before. Moses went before Pharaoh, which is why Moses says in verse 22, Moses turned to the Lord and said, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. And you, you have not delivered them at all like you said. Moses is in a bad place. Moving into Exodus chapter 6. Notice. God goes into great detail to try to explain to Moses why he's not evil and why he's not done evil. And he takes several uh, sentences and paragraphs to defend himself and his holiness and his purity in his decision-making for his advancement of his will in the world. Yeah, no, that's not what God does. God doesn't even respond. ...to Moses' accusations at all. Why? Because God knows Moses. God created Moses. God knows Moses doesn't see the big picture... ...and that his accusations are worthless... ...because God knows who he is. So he doesn't spend time answering Moses' questions. He just comes back in and tells Moses what to do next... ...what's going to happen next... Chapter 6, verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. Moses had to be rejected by Pharaoh. We, reading some 3,500 years later, we need to see. Pharaoh's reaction and his attitude. Listen, God is fixing to bring a hammer down upon Pharaoh. And so many people would say, well, God shouldn't have done that. That was me. No, that's why we've seen chapter five. We've seen the arrogance of Pharaoh. We've seen how he rejects the mercy, rejects the compassion of God, rejects the opportunity for repentance and a new thing God's way. So he deserves everything he's fixing to get. Look, you wouldn't be human if you didn't feel sorry for Pharaoh by the end of the 10th plague. When what happens here in 6.1 occurs in reality that Moses sees Pharaoh begging. On his knees, weeping over his dead son. Begging the Hebrew people to leave Egypt. That's coming. God lets Moses know beforehand all that rejection had to occur. Now you're going to see what I'm going to do to Pharaoh with a strong hand. He, being Pharaoh, he is going to send Israel out. And with a strong hand, he, Pharaoh, will drive them out of his land. He wants you here now, but in a couple plagues, he's not going to want you here any longer. He's going to do everything he can to move you out. Verse 2. Now, verse 2 through verse 9, these are, these are power. we we got we to settle here. we got to get this in. Even though we're going to end in a much darker place, hear the promises of God. And I'm going to ask you to underline several things as we read through this. God spoke to Moses and said, I am the Lord. Now, this phrase in this way, Happens 15 times from 6 2 through the end of Exodus. First time it happens in this exact way in Exodus, but 15 more times we're gonna see I am the Lord. It's a statement that comes after Pharaoh's rejection, after Pharaoh saying, Who is the Lord? Well, not only is Pharaoh fixing to see who the Lord is, but Moses himself is going to see. He's going to get greater revelation of who God Yahweh is and what he can do. There is nothing outside the scope of his power, of his majesty. I am the Lord. We're going to see it five times in this chapter alone. He said to him, I am the Lord. Now, underline this I appeared. Underline it. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. In the Old Testament, we see what is called progressive revelation. Right? God shows himself to Abraham. These are real people living in real times. God shows up. The three major religions on planet Earth all tie themselves back to Abraham. Abraham. Why do the Jews uh, claim Abraham? Why do the Muslims claim Why do Christians claim Abraham? Because he's a real person at a real time that God spoke to and did a work in. But it was the beginning of a work. It was the beginning of some covenants that God made that, Mo, that Abraham would never even see fulfilled in his lifetime. What we have in the Old Testament is progressive revelation leading up to the last prophet to speak, Malachi, who says, wait now, you, you've been given everything you need to hear. Wait now for the son of righteousness to come with healing in his wings. It's a messianic prophecy. Everything has been revealed. On the Savior that you're waiting on in the New Testament enters with Christ Jesus, God in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. New Testament doesn't end like the Old Testament. New Testament doesn't end with wait. It ends with no more words are to be written. Don't add anything to this or take anything away. Because Jesus Christ is the fullness of the revelation of God in creation. The face of God is seen clearly in the face Christ. But here he says, I appeared to your forefathers. They didn't know everything. I'm revealing more to you now at your time and your generation. But I did appear to them. I started this work a long time ago. Verse four, I underline this I also established my covenant. I established my covenant, my promise with them to give them the land of Cain and the land in which they lived as sojourners. Abraham got to live in that land, but he didn't own that land. God's going to give that to his descendants, but here's the thing. I appeared and I established these are past tense words. Where does God start when he's talking to Moses about what he's going to see next? He starts in the past. We serve a God who didn't just show up yesterday. He's not just going to show up sometime in the future. This is a God who has been at work in his creation, in his people from the very beginning, from Adam and Eve through Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is a God who has, past tense, already appeared and already begun to perform his work. Will, his sovereign expected will in the world before the foundations of the world were created. God knew exactly how he was going to save a people for himself through the second person of the Trinity, God in flesh, Jesus Christ. He has been at work. Now, look at verse five. Two more things I want you to underline. Moreover, Jesus is calling. Moreover, underline it I have heard, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And underline it, I have remembered my covenant. God, appeared and God uh, established in the past, but right now in the present, God is hearing the groans and the prayers of his people, and he is right now remembering the promise that he has made the Bible is full of verses listen if you're in the room right now God's been at work before you were a gleam in your father's eye God was at work in generations past leading up to this time leading up to your life leading up to right now God is not surprised by the chaos that surrounds our world God's not surprised by wars happening in foreign countries he has been working his will out generations past leading up to right Right now, and he knows where you're at, and he hears. His ears, Scripture teaches, are attentive to the prayers of his people. His eyes are looking to and fro as he remembers the promises he has made, promises to save and deliver his people. Right now, God has been at work. And right now he is at work. You are not lost. You may feel lost, but you are not lost to him. He knows exactly where Moses is. He knows exactly where you are. He is the God who works in the past. He is a God who works right now in the present. That's why Paul speaks of salvation in three tenses. I have been saved. There was a time when the gospel became real and we accepted Christ as our Savior. That time is in the past, but Paul says we are being saved right now. You and I, we are present tense, being saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. His perfect life, his sacrificial death, we're being saved right now. And Paul also says, and we will be saved. Whether it's in our death or whether it's in, if we get to live to see the return of Christ, the second coming, there will be a final salvation. that We're not glorified quite yet, but glorification is just as good right now as it will be because we know God's word is true. His promises are yes and amen. So we've been saved. We're being saved. We will be saved on that day. Now, watch this in verse 6. Verse 6 through 8. We're going to see seven big future tense statements about what God will do in the future. Uh, I will, he says, seven times. We're going to read it all. I want you to underline each time. Because God has been working, God is working, and God will continue to work to make His covenants certain in our lives. The lives of His people through His Son, Jesus Christ. But even in this Old Testament people, God is going to do some things. Now, if you've ever been to a Jewish Passover, a cedar meal... There are four cups of wine drank for each of these first four I will statements of God as an act of remembrance of what God did for his people in the Exodus from Egypt. One of the funniest things I read in my commentaries this week is uh, someone asked, uh, this is like a thousand years, someone asked a famous rabbi, why don't we drink a cup of wine for all seven of the I will statements? And the rabbi just smiled and looked at him and said, four cups of wine is enough for our celebration. (laughs) translation if you drink seven cups there's no more celebration you're not gonna be able to leave the table (laughs) so the first four is enough Verse, verse six say therefore to the people of israel again i am the lord and underline it i will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And number two, I will deliver you from slavery to them. And three, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Four, I will take you to be my people. And five, I will be your God and you shall know that I am am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and number six I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob and finally seven times I will give it to you for a possession I am the Lord Seven big promises, seven huge statements. I'm gonna deliver you. I'm gonna bring freedom. I'm gonna make you my people. I'm gonna be your God. This land I promised is yours. I will, I will, I will, I will. Couched. He begins these seven I will future tense statements with I am the Lord. And right in the middle of these statements, he says again, I am the Lord. And right at the end of these seven statements, he says it one more time I am the Lord, using his name to seal these seven promises made to Moses that we know from the rest of the book. God fulfills each and every one. God always does what he says he's going to do. Praise God, right? This isn't that bad of a sermon. Verse 9. Right? You would think, what more does anyone need? Man, God's, yeah, it's a bad time. Moses obeyed God. It didn't go the way he expected. How many of you know? You've been around long enough to know when we obey God. It kind of never works out how we expect. God is always showing himself strong in our weakness, in our misunderstanding and not understanding god loves to put us in places where our weaknesses are exemplified so that he can then come down and everyone present knows it was the lord who did the work and not the man or not the woman amen that's why god does the stuff he does He's not going to share his glory with anyone. He wants everyone to know it is he who moves the mountain. It is he who brings fire from heaven. It is he who parts the sea. Moses is completely unable to do any of these things apart from God Almighty, Yahweh the Lord. So God just says, I've been working, I am working, and I'm going to do these things. You've got my word. I make, a pro- I make these promises to you on my sacred personal name, Yahweh. And Moses went and told the people, and everybody believed, and they all sat in a circle, Indian style, and sang Kumbaya, and smoked a peace pipe, and everybody was happy. verse 9 Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel Moses preached the sermon that God just gave him to preach God has been working God hears you now and God will. will he will he will he will Moses preached that sermon to Israel But they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. The worst thing God could ever ask a person to do is preach a sermon that nobody listens to. That's why Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. He kept preaching the sermons God gave and nobody listened and nobody cared. And why is no one listening to this incredible sermon? Seven, seven, the number of perfection. You know why seven is used so often in the Bible? Because it grounds what's being said in the creator God of the universe. The first verse of Genesis is in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the Hebrew, we've got a lot more words in English. In the Hebrew, that is seven words. The first verse of the Bible is seven words long. God creates the world in seven days. The seventh day is the holy day. The Sabbath, seven, ties into the creator God of the universe throughout Scripture. Why would the people not hear these incredible promises? The Bible tells us harsh slavery. Not only did they have all their work left to do, they had a quota of bricks to make every day so the Egyptians could build their cities But they took all their resources away. So now they had to go and gather their own resources and come back and make the same. um, They added three, four, six hours to their day and they couldn't make their quotas. So they were being beaten. Harsh, working conditions. But notice this other reason why they didn't listen to Moses. Because of their broken spirit. Here's what I need you to hear. What this word actually means. In the Hebrew, literal shortness of, they were out of breath. We have a word in English for that. They were exhausted. They were just, they had nothing left to give said, and I meet so many, we've got Christians right now who've received that phone call that changes their world forever. We've got Christians in the hospital this morning not knowing what next week is going to look like. We've got Christians uh, all throughout our family suffering in dark nights of the soul. And sometimes when we're in those moments, we think, what's wrong with us? Why can't, why can't we be excited about the promises of God? It's because life, man... This world knows just how to knock the breath out of you. Human life is hard life, and the people don't listen to Moses because they're simply exhausted. Not to mention, it didn't work the first time. We just can't even bring ourselves to be excited about God speaking to you again, Moses. If you're in that place this morning, there's nothing wrong with you and you are not being punished. Life is just that hard at times and it's okay. It's okay to be mad. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to accuse. God is big enough to handle our accusations. Isn't he good? He should smite us in a moment, but through Christ, we receive what we don't deserve, we get grace. We get mercy. Having peace with God even in our hardships. Listen, why is this important? Because we can know truth up here, but isn't it isn't it just human reality? Sometimes we can know truth up here, but it doesn't translate. Well, when we're in the midst of suffering, when we're in the midst of hardship, we can't see it tangibly in our reality what we know to be true up here. This is where Moses and the people of Israel are at right now. Moses has no doubt. He's met God at the burning bush. He has no doubt of what's true. But he's having a hard time walking it out at this moment. So the Lord said to Moses, so Moses tells the people, preaches this sermon, and they do not listen to him because they're exhausted. And so the Lord said to Moses, go in. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. Now you know already, Moses has a, a A mental block when it comes to his own ability to speak one of the five excuses he gave God back in chapters three and four is I don't speak well but that's not the only thought here this word circumcision as we two weeks ago we understood circumcision a little better circumcision is a sign what Moses is saying is not just I can't speak well but he's saying there is no sign in my words there is no way your own people didn't believe me. You want me to go and now talk to Pharaoh again? There's no way I am going to be able, in and of my ability. I don't have the right words. I don't have the right mouth. I'm not going to be able to present this in the right way that is going to uh, make him believe. I, I can't. There's no power in my mouth. God doesn't say, is there power in your mouth, Moses? He says, go and speak. And Moses says, there's no power here. There's no no sign. It's not going to work. I've already done it once with Pharaoh. He didn't believe me the first time, and everything got worse. You make more promises I tell your people. They don't even believe. There's nothing here. Now you want me to go back to Pharaoh? This is a fool's errand. And what does God say? But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge, underline it, gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people out of the land of Egypt. What God says to Moses is, I don't care what you believe about your own mouth or your ability to communicate. I'm telling you to go again and speak to Pharaoh regardless what you think the outcome is going to be. And here we find Moses in the same place we saw Jeremiah. I want to just turn and walk away, but I just can't. I got to come back. And I've got to, even though I don't feel it, even though I I know what's true up here, but it's not real in my life right now. But you continue to charge, and you continue to call me to obedience, even though I don't want to. i got nothing else to do. i got to come back, and I've got to obey you. And we know Moses does. And we know the exodus that is coming because we've read this book. And so some of you now want me to wrap this sermon up with a pretty bow that says if you'll just obey God even when you don't want to, even when you feel like it's not going to do anything, even when you're out of breath and exhausted, if you'll just obey Him, Red Sea's going to part. Sometimes it did for Moses and praise God. That was God's will in this time, in this generation. But sometimes... There are perpetua, there are women of God whose families begging them to, to recant Christianity so they can live, and she says, no, let them feed me to the lions. I gladly will go out and give my life to bring glory to the name of Jesus. And she's torn apart for sport, for Roman sport. I was thinking about Ignatius and Polycarp today. Polycarp burned at the stake. An early church father Burned alive at the stake, when they told him, We're gonna give you one more chance to recant, he was like, You think these flames scare me? You have no idea the flames of judgment that are coming for you. Go ahead and start the fire. I'm not afraid. Hebrews chapter 11, let's end. Here's the truth of the matter. There are going to be people in this room that are going to see unbelievable victories in the name of Jesus Christ. There are going to be others who deal with unbearable tragedies and hardships and sufferings. For those who for those who get to con- con- conquer kingdoms, praise God for those who give themselves in full exhaustion to the Lord in the sufferings of this world. Praise God. It's all faith. We don't know the future, but we know God. And whether we want to or not as his people, we come back and we do what he says to do, whether we feel it or not, by faith. Starting in verse 29, Hebrews 11. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Praise God. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for how many days? Seven days. God of creation, at work, at Jericho. Stupidest military campaign strategy ever in human history imagine being a josh being a warrior knowing god's given you the land and you're ready to take it and god says okay here's the plan i want you you and all the people i want you to go i want you to walk up to the walls and then i want you to march around them seven times and then i want you to blow some trumpets i mean joshua's got to be like i can't go tell them that's what we're doing (laughs) that's crazy why does god do crazy stuff he gets the glory. What does he expect from us? Just obey. Whether we think it's a good idea or not, just obey. By faith, Joshua and Israel marched around and they saw Jericho fall. It was verse 31 By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, but she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. What more shall I say? Time would fail to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, the great judges and the great king of Israel, Samuel and the prophets. Circle this, who through faith, all of these victories and everything we're going to read after is centered on through faith. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, Stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness because uh, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. I mean, power of God at work through the faith of God's people doing what God says. And isn't it funny how every church wants to stop there in the sermon? Praise God for this stuff. Listen, you know what I hope and pray? You know what I believe more than anything else? That we're gonna be God's people who sees revival. We're gonna see uh, the kingdoms and the powers of darkness toppled under the power of the God. That's what I want. But if God's will should be a pole and a fire, who am I to say no? No. It is through faith. Notice it's not even a new verse. In the middle of the same thought, there's a change in context. Conquer kingdoms, mighty in battle. woo We win! But it was also through faith that some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. And that doesn't mean in the Bob Dylan way. i got to throw some humor in here. (laughs) They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in the skins of sheep and goats, destitute, having nothing, afflicted, mistreated of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. If you're ever at a place where somebody tells you the will of God is the safest place you can ever be, that person is a liar. Because being in the will of God is dangerous. It is our lives for him and rightly so because we have been bought with a price. Even in the hardships of life, even when God, what you're telling me to do, I don't think is going to work. Even when you're just because of life, you're out of breath, you're just exhausted, you don't think you can take another step. We are called in obedience by faith to follow. We know the truth. God created all things good. We're the ones who sin and ruin everything. We brought sin, death, hell, sickness into this world through our disobedience. So God came living the perfect life that we have not died in our place for our sins, conquering sin, death, hell, and the grave. We know the truth. So even if we don't, we don't, and we don't know the future, but we know the truth. Right. So what do we do? Whether we feel like some of you are like, oh, let's go, I'm ready. Praise God for where you're at right now. Some of you are going, Brent, I hear you, but I just can't. I don't have it in me anymore. What else are you going to do? It's like Jesus and his disciples. You know, Jesus preached some hard sermons. One time he started talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood and what he was talking about was participation in the sufferings of his cross that he would endure on our behalf but the, there was hundreds of people listening to Jesus sermon that were just like i can't i can't deal with that and off they walked and then Jesus looked to the 12 and he said are you going to abandon me too and they said what Each and every one of us who belong to God must say, whether we're on a mountaintop or whether we're deep in the valley, like Jeremiah wanting to walk away, but you just can't. Why? The disciples said to Jesus, where would we go? Only you have the words of life. Men and women of God, I don't know what tomorrow holds but I do know who holds tomorrow. And it is by faith in our strength we go. It is by faith in our weakness we go. Not knowing the outcomes of our lives in this generation, but knowing that God is faithful. And even in our pain, he is working everything out for good to those who are called according to his name. His will will go forth through his men and his women and his gospel that we steward come hell or high water. Life is not a bed of roses, but God is there even in the pain. Be faithful, Christian soldier. Let's pray. Father, I love you and your word is power. I thank you for those who have already reached out this morning. Father, I pray there are many more in this room. God, that you have done in them exactly what needs to be done. Father, to encourage them to continue this walk as they follow you in the pains and hardships of this world. Lord Jesus, we pray for revival. We want to, in your name, conquer kingdoms and become mighty in battle. But, Father, if that is not your will for us, and it is the sword that we will face, Lord, God, give strength. And may we be faithful in those moments like Polycarp and Perpetua. It is in Jesus' name we pray these things and every Christian said, Amen.